Shall we stand? Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Amen to that. Can you hear me? Yeah. Your prayer. Father, we just uh, come before you uh, this morning to come to worship you, to give you the glory, to give you the thanks of everything uh, that you've done for us in our lives. Lord, we just ask you to bless this time that we can gather together in your name. In Jesus Christ's name.
performed many miracles on earth. And in fact, my Bible has listed 35 miracles performed by him. From John, we know there were many more miracles not mentioned. In many cases, Jesus used his miracles as a means for teaching his apostles. And um, the miracles listed, Matthew has 20 miracles, Mark 18, Luke 20, and John has 8. Many of the miracles were repeated in the first four books. But also, um, also referred to as the Gospels. And by the way, um, Gospel means good news. Okay, surprisingly, six of the eight miracles in John are not mentioned in the other three books. Mm. Okay, Jesus' miracles demonstrate his power over earth, <coughs> demons, sickness and disease, death, sin, and the Sabbath. His miracles show he is Lord of the Sabbath, in fact. We will be focusing on a few miracles in the book of John. As we look at each miracle, we'll ask ourselves, what can we learn from Jesus' actions, and how can we apply what we learn to ourselves? Okay, um, so we, we're going to begin with by looking at John 2, 1-11. through 11. If you want to turn your Bibles to John 2, 1-11. through 11. This is the miracle of turning water into wine. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there, for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called to the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Jesus for help? And what do we learn from Jesus' actions? Well, Jesus his and his disciples had been invited to a wedding. This is the setting. Jesus and his disciples have been invited to a wedding. His mother is also there. Some commentators believe the wedding took place at Mary's sister's house. People are having a good time, drinking wine, and celebrating. Then the worst possible social faux pas happens. They run out of wine. And back then, that was a real big deal. That could ruin a person for life to run out of wine at the wedding. Mary, concerned for the wedding party, comes to Jesus and says, They have no more wine. 
We don't know what Mary was expecting Jesus to do. Some speculate that by this time, Joseph may be dead. If so, Mary would probably have come to Jesus for many things. In any case, she was asking him to do something. In this situation, Mary was most likely stressed, and in her time of need, she came to Jesus and asked for help. We should, can and should do the same when we have difficult times. Jesus replied, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus is not being rude. He is on his father's schedule, and to his response, and so his response was possibly letting her know that. Also, by calling his mother woman, and not mother, Jesus is possibly letting her know that her relationship had changed. Furthermore, Jesus was in all things doing his father's will. We should do the same, seeking to do our father's in heaven's will. Then Mary said to the waiters, do whatever he tells you. At this point, Mary submitted to Jesus. She didn't know what he would do, but had faith that it would work. When we do ask Jesus for help, we may not know how he will help us. We need faith that it will work out according to God's plan. So Jesus asked the waiters to fill the jars in, um, with water. He then asked them to draw water from the pots and take it to the head waiter. After tasting the water, now turned to wine, the head waiter was amazed at the quality of the wine. Very impressed, he said, the good wine for later in the festivities. This is the beginning of the signs. Okay, what can we learn from Jesus' actions? Well, Jesus has compassion for his mother and the wedding party. His mother knows who he is and doesn't need proof of his deity. We don't know if the bridegroom was aware of what just happened, but still received blessings from Jesus. See, I believe that we receive blessings from God and aren't aware of them most of the time. Just like the bridegroom might not have been aware of what Jesus had done for him. Although this miracle... Um, Jesus manifested his, oh, excuse me, through this miracle, Jesus manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This scripture, being the word of God, is a manifestation of Jesus' glory for our witness as well. We can know that Jesus cares about every aspect in our lives, little and big. Jesus has the authority and sovereignty over nature and over all, all aspects of our life, death, diversity, eternal life. He has control over everything. Jesus honors his mother and his father, and last thing we can take away, at least I can take away, is Mary's advice, do whatever Jesus tells you is sound advice. Okay, uh, the next miracle will be um, Jesus heals the government official's son. Now what's interesting about the first and the second miracle is that I called it these, what he did was not for general knowledge or general edification, it was just for the people involved, which would be his uh, disciples and the people who received the miracle and maybe a few that witnessed it. But at large, at this point, he is, he's doing these miracles just out of compassion. <clears throat> Therefore, okay, the first miracle this one, it, oh, 
Sorry. <laughs> Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee. Oh, I'm sorry. Turn to John 4. And this would be um, 46 through 54. Verse 46 to 54. Also, I want to compare this miracle to Luke 7, 9, 
regarding the centurion. Now, in Luke 7, 9, Jesus says, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in Israel. But in this miracle, he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Okay, so for some, seeing is believing. But in reality, true sight comes from faith. So in those first two miracles, we had Jesus. In the first one, it was turning the water into wine. He was actually also demonstrating to his disciples um, what he can do. And they probably already knew a certain amount, but with every miracle he performs and every wonder he performs, it just helps to strengthen their faith. This next one, I find... Um, Fascinating, and it's unlike the first two miracles. This one, Jesus claims to be the Son of God. Okay, so turn to John 5. And we're going to be reading 1 through 11. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticles. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first arrived, uh, excuse me, whoever then first after the stirring up of the water stepped in was made well for whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. <clears throat> okay, now the, the setting for this is Sometimes later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. He came across a man near a pool who had been, in an, been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? The man might have been thinking Jesus was wondering why he hasn't used the pool to heal himself. Because he explains to Jesus why he hasn't been able to be the first in the pool when the water was stirred. Because when Jesus had asked him, do you want to get well, his response was why he hadn't gotten well, not just yes. So Jesus says to him, pick up, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. At once the man is healed. He picks up his pallet and walks. So the Jews see the man carrying his mat and point out that it is not permissible to carry his mat or pallet on the Sabbath. 
Later, Jesus finds the man at the temple. He points out that he is well again and tells him to sin no more or something worse may happen. At this point, the Jews begin to persecute Jesus. And they're persecuting him because he's doing work on the Sabbath. You know, they're not at all, seem to be anyway, in awe that he has healed this man who's been lame for how many years? 38 years. And instead, they're saying, he can't carry your pallet on a Sabbath. That's their concern. Well, in defense of Jesus being persecuted, he claims to be the Son of God. Jesus was identifying himself with God his Father in John 5, 9. 19, excuse me, 5, 19. And it says, Therefore Jesus answered, and answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Now, if you believe that the Pharisees, you know, if you believe in God, you must believe in the Son. For not, for in John 5, 23, he says, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all honor, excuse me, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father and the Father who sent him. So from um, 5, John 5, 17 to 47, we're not going to read that, but the Pharisees must either believe in Jesus or accuse him of blasphemy. So Jesus tells the Pharisees that even God does good on the Sabbath. Jesus honors the Father, his will, honors his Father's will, we must do the same with Jesus. When we accept Jesus as Savior, life begins in us. And if you look in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. And in John, back to John 5.24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Recall, Jesus has the power over death. In John 5.25, we have, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So Old Testament mentions three signs of the coming of the Messiah. Remember now, this is all about Jesus telling the Pharisees, the Jews, that he is the Son of God. And, you know, they all might say, well, we're all sons of God, but this is different, isn't it? He is born of the Son of God. Old Testament's mentioned three times 
of the coming Messiah, John shows that Jesus fulfills all three. First one is authority to judge. And he gave him authority in John 5.27 to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. In Daniel 7.13-14, through 14, said, I kept, it says, I kept looking into the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one, which will not be destroyed. So, he has dominion over everything, that including judgment over everything. The third thing is the lame and sick are healed. So, what do we have in the first two? We had that the authority to judge. Um, am I missing something here? No. Okay, sorry. We have authority to judge. We only covered one. The lame and sick are healed is the second thing. And it says, The royal officials said to him in John 49-50, through 50, The royal officials said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. So we have the three items are number one, the he has judgment over things. Number two, he can heal the lame and sick. And that's also supported, the second one, the lame and sick are healed by Luke 4, 16 through 19. Life, even so, the Son also gives life.
to whom he wishes. And you might want to read um, John 11 regarding the death of the resurrection, death and resurrection of Lazarus. We're not going to read that, but that's another one that shows that he raised um, the dead to life. Okay. Those who reject Jesus will be resurrected to hear God's judgment against them. In John 5, 28 and 29, it says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. And also in his arguments or his defense against the uh, Pharisees was he is equal with God. Jesus is equal with God. God. And that's in John 5.18 where he says, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making him equal. So to be sure of life in John 5.26, to be, excuse me, to be the source of life in John 5.26, he says, For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And to judge sin in 5.27, he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So, unlike the Jewish nation, Jesus did not need approval of the Pharisees. He was concerned about God's approval. We should be the same. Moses wrote about Jesus in Genesis 3.15. And I put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. You shall bruise he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the hill. And in Numbers 24, 17, he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. And so crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheath. Not sure. Then the last one, Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. See, the religious leaders, they knew the Old Testament. They knew all the signs. But yet, the religious leaders refused to believe who Jesus is. They were too set in their religious system. Their hearts were hardened. through these pretty quickly. We're going to get out early. <laughs> Don't tell my dad. 
cut all this one. Okay. So, Jesus heals the born, the man born blind. Now, this I think is just an amazing um, chapter. I just, I just love what the man, how he um, deals with the Pharisees. So, in John, we're going to read John nine one through seven. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Now as we examine the story of this man, we will see it becomes a living parable for our needs to receive spiritual sight and enlightenment from the Lord. This story supports the saying, we don't have faith from sight, but sight from faith. Let us begin by looking at chronological events of the blind man. The man is blind. Matter of fact, blind from birth. Disciples ask, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now what's interesting is, a lot of them back then believed that you could be punished for something you haven't done, you're not even born yet, and you could be punished for a sin in the future. And so, and they also believed that, hey, this person was probably born blind because of something his parents did. But Jesus answers, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was that the works of God might be displayed to him. Then Jesus heals the blind man. So what happens next? Well, the neighbors question, is this man, is this the man who was blind? Because now he's walking around. He was blind, he was a blind beggar forever, and now he's walking around with sight. And they, some are saying, well, maybe this just looks like that guy sort of thing. Maybe it's not really him. And the man keeps saying, he's the one who was blind. But, you know, they're just, you know, some are believing, maybe some aren't. It's creating a little turmoil there. So they want to know, though, how his eyes were open. The blind man then tells him, it was Jesus who healed me. Keep in mind at this point, he doesn't know what Jesus looks like and doesn't know where he is. So this man has not seen Jesus at this point. Now the controversy over the man, the people bring the formerly blind man to the Pharisees. The Pharisees ask how he received his sight. The man told them what Jesus did. Some Pharisees claim Jesus wasn't from God is why you don't do work on the Sabbath. Therefore, he's a sinner. Others were saying, how could a sinner perform such signs? So at this point now, the Pharisees themselves are becoming divided over who Jesus is. When the Pharisees seek the blind man again, what he has to say about Jesus, excuse me, when the Pharisees ask the blind man again what he has to say about Jesus, he replies, he is a prophet. 
So look at look at this. We're going to start looking at the progressions of this man's faith, how it grows with each encounter. The Jews don't believe him, and they call in his parents. The parents testify that he is their son, and he had been blind since birth. They don't know how he can see. So his parents are now afraid of being put out of the church by the Pharisees. So um, they tell them, the parents say, he's a man, ask him. He's of, of age. They, they don't want to get involved any more than what they have. The Pharisees call the man back and say, give glory to God. We know Jesus is, is a sinner. So what are they saying when they say, first, give glory to God? I think they're saying, be honest before God. So they're accusing him of lying, and now they're trying to put a little pressure on him to be honest and say what really happened. Well, the blind man answers, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Once again, the Pharisees asked what Jesus did to him. And he answered, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? Do you? He asked him. The Pharisees reviled the man and tried to intimidate him and to tell him what they want to hear. So now they're just badgering him. They want him to change his story, but he's not going to change his story. The once blind man stands up to the Pharisees and continues to profess his belief in Jesus. In fact, it seems that the more the man confronts them, the stronger his faith becomes. So, um, on verse 28, it says in, in um, chapter 9, it says, They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that Jesus does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opens the eyes of a person born blind. This is what the man is saying to the Pharisees. If this man were not from God, he could, not, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sin, and you are teaching us? And so they put him out. You know, being put out from the synagogue was a big deal. At some point, Dave can tell you all about that. Um, but it, it's a big deal. So Jesus affirms his deity. Jesus heard that he had been put out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he? Lord, that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those are the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. 
but since you say we see, your sins remain. So the Pharisees were spiritually blind, but they didn't want to believe it. They wanted to believe that they had sight. But remember, sight comes from faith. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to the eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Salaam, which is translated. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So, Now the follow-up on this is Jesus points out that this man is this man's blindness was in God's plan and that the works of God should be revealed in him. Describing the miracle is short, but what happens because of the miracle is profound. People were shocked to see that the man had sat and begged with was no longer blind. He was too, um, he, it was too amazing to be true until now from Genesis to John 8 no blind person has been given sight the blind man who can see now was taken to the Pharisees they wanted to know how he received the sight when the Pharisees learned that Jesus had made clay and applied it to his eyes it created a vision among them what was the vision over? Well, some argue Jesus is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath, but others argue how can a man who is a sinner do such things? So now there is a division among them. So these are the follow-ups we're seeing. Okay, Jesus performed this miracle. The Pharisees could only focus on that he did works on the Sabbath, but what were the works that he did on the Sabbath? A little spit into a little dirt put it on the guy's eyes. But that was all they could focus on. The Pharisees had taken what was tradition and lifted it to a position of binding law. Because it was tradition that you don't do work on the Sabbath. It wasn't a law. And now they've lifted it to that. And then they've even defined what work is. What was the tradition that Jesus broke on the Sabbath? Well, one of the categories of work specifically forbidden on the Sabbath in the traditional interpretation of the law was kneading. Okay? The making of mud or clay with simple ingredients as earth and saliva was constructed now as kneading. Note, the Pharisees had created a system that implied you make it to heaven through obeying not just God's laws, but theirs. God's law are to be obeyed, but they also exist to show us we are sinners and can't make it to heaven without a saving grace. So what else have we learned? When the man worshipped Jesus, Jesus received the worship. This is something that no man or angel in the Bible does. The fact that Jesus accepted this worship is another proof that Jesus was and is God, and that he knew himself to be God. The formerly blind man showed an increasing awareness of Jesus. So what do we have with this what the blind man? He's first off, who's Jesus? He's a man. Then he becomes a prophet. Jesus is now master. I am his disciple. Jesus is from God. This is all the things that this man is becoming aware of. Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus is who I trust. Jesus is who I worship. The blind man became enlightened, whereas the Pharisees chose to remain blind. Now, after um, this, I want to say this, that as Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see 
may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sins remain. Now, like the blind man, we need to look to Jesus for enlightenment. For enlightenment. And uh, this was taken from BibleStudyCourse.org. And it's very, very good one I'm going to read to you. At the time of the miracle, the poor blind beggar was not yet a disciple of Jesus. At this point, he did not know who Jesus really was. At first, he merely speaks about the man called Jesus. When he is interviewed by the Pharisees and asked to give his opinion of Jesus, he declares, he's a prophet. Still later, he correctly draws the conclusion that Jesus must be a man from God, or else he could not work such miracles. Although he still does not know Jesus' true identity, he is willing to look to Jesus for enlightenment. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of God? He replied, Who is he, sir? So that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and he is the one who is speaking to you. So when this poor beggar was enlightened, he responded to the light by worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay, so he responded to the light by worshiping the Lord Jesus. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. If you are still searching for meaning in life, open your heart to God's word and, and come to Jesus on faith that you too may be enlightened. So sight comes from faith, and from faith we are enlightened. An important thought I am walking away with is, one, Jesus loved not only his disciples, but he also loved the Pharisees. Think about what he knew was going to happen, and yet he really wanted them to see him for what he was, so that their souls would be saved. So he had love for these people who were looking to put him to death. And that's just amazing love. And he really was yeah, trying to save them. Anyway, that's, um, that's it. So, Father, I just, I just ask that as we study and as we just come to the Word, Lord, that we also just keep our hearts open and our eyes open, Lord. Help us to see what it is spiritually that Jesus wants us to do, Lord. Help us to just, in all these miracles, just understand that by us reading these miracles, Jesus is manifesting His glory in us, Father. And that we need to continue to just open our hearts and do his will. And I just ask that be done in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay.